Hello and welcome to The Yarn, a podcast by the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. I'm Jordan Beasley and today is part two of our series, Tales of the Environment. It's a series we've made in collaboration with the Being Human Festival and each week we're bringing you stories of what life is like on the front lines of the climate emergency. This week we're looking at our disappearing forests. I'm 10 and in my lifetime I've seen a huge decline of insects and birds and all sorts of animals so I don't want to keep seeing this decline. They go into an area and they knock down absolutely everything so it basically looks like um, like a strange deserty moonscape post-logging. Continual economic growth is impossible in a finite world and all it does is exploit. We in Australia are still treating this country like a colony um, that you can get as exploit as much as possible. Australia is a global leader in the extinction of wildlife. Since colonisation in 1788, about 100 of Australia's unique plants and animals have disappeared. We've cleared bushland to make ways for farms, houses and shopping centres. What's left is small patches of bushland and parks in our towns and cities. And those small patches are crucial for our wildlife survival. Our first story is about a 10-year-old boy who is fighting to save one such refuge in Queensland's Noosa. It's a five-acre patch of bush home to his beloved glossy black cockatoos, an endangered species. The birds are affectionately known as glossies, They're black and brown and can have an orange or red streak across their tail. Soon, this remnant habitat in Noosa, where the glossies roost with their young, will be cleared to build an aged care home. But not if Spencer can stop it. Hello, I'm Spencer and I'm trying to save the glossy black cockatoos and many other creatures habitat at Grass Tree Court, Sunrise Beach. I'm 10 and in my lifetime I've seen a huge decline of insects and birds and all sorts of animals so I don't want to keep seeing this decline. So if I've seen this sort of decline in 10 years what will happen in another 10 years when I'm 20? And it's really important we save this habitat so that all the little creatures that depend on it can survive. Even though Grass Tree Court's quite a small site, it's so important because it adds up. The more and more habitat we take away, the more it affects all these really rare species. And I've got a petition at change.org slash save our glossies. It's got over 56,000 signatures and I'm still not being heard. It's really important that I'm heard so that the environment can survive. The environmental laws are failing our wildlife and we need them to change so that the environment can survive. That was 10-year-old Spencer Hitchin. He started his campaign, Save Sunrise Glossies, with his mum, Maxine Hitchin. In Victoria's central highlands stands the tallest flowering tree in the world, the mountain ash. These trees form one of the world's most carbon-dense forests, which means they actually help haul back climate change. Mountain ash are also a favoured home for the critically endangered leadbeater possum. But there's a problem. Mountain ash wood 
is among the most prized in the world, which means we like to cut them down. 40% of the trees taken from Victoria's native forests are turned into timber to build homes and furniture. The rest is pulled for paper and cardboard for export. The Victorian government who owns the logging company Vic Forest has committed to end native forest logging in Victoria by 2030. But many argue this will be too late. In our next story, an activist who abseils up trees in coops. That is, areas of forests designated for logging. Once there, she sits in the branches of the tree to stall loggers. This move is designed to be a human shield for the trees and to attract attention in the fight to persuade the government to prioritise the planet over profit. My name's Alana Mountain. I'm 30 years old and I am a forest campaigner in so-called Victoria. I was inspired to more specifically become a forest activist after I saw Clearfell logging in Victoria when I was about 20 years old. Clearfelling is when an area of intact native forest is selected for harvesting by the state-owned logging agency called Vic Forests. And they go into an area and they knock down absolutely everything. So it basically looks like um, like a strange deserty moonscape post-logging. I was just really hit quite deeply in the heart by witnessing the mass devastation and it created a huge shift in my trajectory and I found myself enrolling in environmental science and volunteering wherever I could um, to protect our native forests. Um, Last year, we blockaded, by we I mean Forest Conservation Victoria, Um, a coop called Zinger in Tulangi and we, yeah, blockaded it every single day for a week um, using different tactics. We started off with a tree sit, which I was occupying, and then once I was taken down, I made plans to go back into that coop every single day for the rest of the week. Um, And we had a tip-off that this coop was um, undergoing a hearing to add it into a series of other uh, injuncted coops. So we knew that there was potential for saving the coop if we held off logging by the end of the week. And we built up a huge community campaign. We had heaps of different folk from all walks of life coming out and we had, you know, people on the, on the road with banners and serious hard work of going in there every morning and intercepting um, the logging. They, only felled about four trees and then the court ruled that they needed to leave um, the coop. So, yeah, it was a really amazing feeling. Like it felt like all that hard work paid off. And, I mean, there's there's few wins in this campaign. It's not, you know, we, we all know how difficult it is to fight the government. You really have to celebrate those small wins and the little patches of forest that you, you save. I wouldn't still be here doing what I am if I didn't ultimately have hope. And through what I'm doing gives me hope. Um, And I also have a community around me that supports me and gives me faith that we can help to save and preserve 
what's left of our forests and the planet. That was Alana Mountain, a forest activist based in Victoria. In Australia, only 50% of the forests and bushlands that were here before European invasion remain intact. And chopping down those trees have changed our climate. Fewer trees means less rain, more erosion and more intense periods of drought. One farmer, who is also a scientist, is urging the government to pay attention to the warning signs before our country turns into a dust bowl. I'm Dr Nicole Chalmer. I live in Esperance, which is on the south coast of Western Australia. I've always been really interested in animals and the environment that they live in, starting from, you know, just as far back as I can remember. So when I eventually went to university, I did a degree, a science degree in zoology. One of the things that I talked about in my PhD is that biodiversity is very important for stable, resilient landscapes. The other thing that I found out was that in Western Australia, the rainfall has declined by at least 20% in the southwest. At least 60% of that decline in rainfall is due to the clearing of the wheat belt that happened during the 1950s, 60s, 70s and early 80s. Since European settlement, Australia has become significantly more desertified because of the degradation and the way people have treated the land here. Huge flocks of sheep, probably cattle as well in some areas that um, that were moved in a wave across Australia by the early colonists and uh, pastoralists and damaged the landscape so that the original perennial vegetation, especially in the rangelands, has been replaced by short-term annual grasses and making the whole issue of drought far more likely. And then floods follow and the floods follow because the landscape is so denuded and damaged that the soils can't absorb all that water. So the whole cycle of drought and flood continues. It's not a problem that can be solved by individual farmers or individual pastoralists. So at the moment, the funding and expenditure for it all is incredibly poor because no one has admitted that there's a giant problem. We've actually got to admit that it's urgent. So obviously there needs to be some sort of policy change in government. It also requires a big shift in the way people think. Continual economic growth is impossible in a finite world. And all it does is exploit. We in Australia are still treating this country like a colony um, that you can get as exploit as much as possible. But I think that I am hopeful that at least the inklings are starting to come through. I mean, people are starting to talk about this a bit more. I think we've just got to try and get as much publicity as possible because it's not only the country and all the animals and plants that rely on this country that are at risk. It's actually our own human futures as well. That was Nicole Sharma, a farmer and scientist living in Esperance, Western Australia. We also heard from Spencer Hitchin, a 10-year-old in Noosa trying to save the habitat of his beloved glossies and Alana Mountain, a forest activist based in Victoria. You've been listening to Tales of the Environment, a podcast by The Yarn. This podcast is in collaboration with the Being Human Festival, with special thanks to Emma Souklis, Sarah Willis and Ellie Clay. Next week on Tales of the Environment, 
we hear how action may be the antidote to despair about the climate emergency. The Yarn is produced by myself, Jordan Beasley and Clancy Barlin. Interviews were conducted by me and Thomas Phillips, with editing by Jenny Tsai and Clancy Barlin. Our executive producer is Louisa Lim. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts or jump onto thecitizen.org.au for more work by our journalists at the University of Melbourne. I'm Jordan Beasley and thanks for listening.